Here we are, Locked On NFL, alongside the scout Matt Williamson. I am Brian Peacock. We take you around the league daily here on the Locked On Podcast Network, the number one daily sports podcast network. Matt is on the line via telephone today. He's got some extra Steelers duties that he's got going on for that Thursday night football game this week. We got to break down the Monday night football game, which was a crazy one between the Seahawks and the 49ers. And it's a Twitter Tuesday, an old school Twitter Tuesday. We got a lot of questions to get into. A couple about that game last night, a couple about the league at large, some good ones that We'll fill up our time for sure today. Matt, how are things in Pittsburgh? Hopefully you get another great prime time one Thursday. Yeah, and kind of like you mentioned, just to pull the curtain back, I am sitting in my car at the Steelers parking lot at their facility. A massive train just went by. It's snowing like crazy. Um, practice just ended. I just finished a radio show, and I got a little hiatus to do another one because it is a an odd week. There's a lot of moving parts and filling in for people and just practices are at different times. And so it's an odd week. And I certainly will say the vibe down here is much better than it was a month ago. That's for sure. But I'm passing over the lead here, man. I mean, your Niners last night, I think that was from an unbiased perspective. I think that might've been the game of the year. It absolutely was. And my, my question to you is that train that's going by, is it people bringing the Steelers bandwagon fans back to Pittsburgh or people are exiting <laughs> on their way to Seattle on the uh, Russell Wilson MVP bandwagon. Yeah, it's pretty full of both those guys right now. And Wilson to me is running away with it. I know there's some people, you know, building some steam for Lamar. I think Watson's in the conversation. McCaffrey's as good as all of them, but he's running back. But what Wilson's doing week after week and how well he played last night yet again, it's really upper upper echelon quarterback. It was amazing. And you thought the interception, the Dre Greenlaw interception, that that was the one. It was like, okay, this is the time where Russell, yeah. Russell Wilson doesn't have it in him. He's not going to bring his team back to win it late. The Niners are going to take this one. And no, and to me, when I was watching this game, it, the obvious thing was you cannot give it back to Russell Wilson a third time in overtime. No, Yeah, that's very well said. And... When he did make that, that interception, too, it was a really nice play. I thought it was a perfectly thrown ball, and he just was a little, you know, he could, could have put a little more arc on it, and a great play by the linebacker, like you mentioned. I did think it was over, and like you said, I mean, if you give that guy an opportunity after opportunity after opportunity in overtime, you're not going to win. Um, quick thought, though, and I mentioned this on the air after the Patriots lost to the Ravens. We haven't got a chance to talk about it much because it just happened Sunday, but the Saints lost to the Falcons, and, and this might be a good thing for the Niners. Like, you don't want to give the Seahawks another win, but a public embarrassment, not embarrassment, but a public loss after having a, a flawless season might not be the worst thing for this organization. Right, and better if it would happen against any other team in the league probably than the right. Seahawks, but... They still lost the game. They still have the one seed in the NFC. They still have the one seed in the NFC West. So it doesn't really hurt the 49ers. Gives them something to go back. And yeah, like you said, we talked about this with the Patriots. Something to get mad about and something to fix and something. And you knew they weren't going to go unbeaten the whole season. They lost to a very good football team in a really good game. It took to the last second of overtime. So it wasn't an embarrassing loss at all. It was something that you can build on if you're the 49ers, the defense Gave the offense a bunch of chances. So for the 49ers offensively, they got to figure out why 
This time, because in every game, they've either been able to run the ball at a six-plus yard clip, or they've been able to throw the ball and get points. And in this game, they weren't able to do either one of them with consistency. So now they have something to go back to the drawing board, and they got to help out their defense. When their defense scores a touchdown, continually gives them the ball back, intercepts Russell Wilson late in that game to give you a chance to win it, you got to go win it on offense. Yeah, and I'm curious what you're – how do you think Jimmy played? And while it's on the top of my head, I just want to mention, because Booker mentioned it over and over, boy, Clowney's really fitting in with Seattle, to say the least. I wonder, first of all, with Clowney, and he's a monster, but I wonder if maybe Joe Staley and Mike McGlinchey were rushing themselves back because they didn't yeah, look great. And so, too. you know, is a chicken or the egg thing. Is Clowney that dominant, or were those guys not 100%? And I have a feeling it was, it was a little bit of both of those things. But Jimmy mm-hmm. Garoppolo did not play great. I, I think the the biggest thing I saw from Garoppolo, and he made some throws, and there were some drops as well, so he wasn't helped out that much, and he was under pressure a lot. And overall, I don't think it was terrible. I, it was the fumbles. You just got to protect the ball. If, if the pass rush yeah. does get to you, go down, you can't turn the ball over. So um, his interception was right off the hands of Kendrick Bourne, one of his receivers, so that's not on him. To me, it was just the fumbles. You take away the fumbles, and... Jimmy Garoppolo played an acceptable game, even if he still missed a few throws. And you would like, you would have liked him to play better and been able to drive down to win that game with multiple opportunities in the fourth quarter and overtime. Yeah, and, and I agree with you. I think if Jimmy plays at that level, the Niners win nine out of ten. You know, I mean, they, 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 it's good enough. Although the running game is a little lackluster for their standards. Um, and you mentioned the fumbles, and it's something I haven't mentioned enough on this podcast since it's since I've been doing this is. People get on quarterbacks for interceptions, but there's also an art to protecting the ball in the pocket. You know, guys like Baker Mayfield fumble a ton in the pocket. The quarterback fumbles are a stat that people don't pay enough attention to, in my opinion. I mean, they they blame running backs for fumbles, but they don't blame quarterbacks for fumbles. And uh, some people just don't protect it well in the pocket or have small hands or something along those lines. And also, we can't overlook, and not like anyone's totally healthy in the league right now, but... I bet having George Kittle wouldn't have been so bad or, you know, Emmanuel Sanders got hurt. So, you know, Debo stepped up. So the receivers were a little bit in flux too. We do have a question about Debo in the mailbag, but yeah, his career best output so far, eight catches, 112 yards, but the 49ers were definitely missing Emmanuel Sanders and George Kittle. And I said on the podcast, locked on 49ers right after that game, the 49ers were still 6-0 and without Emmanuel Sanders. Like He's a new piece to the 49ers, so it's not like they can't win without him. I think George Kittle is the big one because he helps in the passing game. He opens things up for other guys, and he is one of the better run-blocking tight ends in the league as well. He's a complete package, and I think he hurts the offense, run, pass. He's the guy I think the 49ers are really missing now. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, do you have any inclination? Is he expected back next week? I mean, uh, he would be... He's the guy they can at least afford to lose. Right, and I, th- I think it's going to be, a, it's a short-term thing. One, maybe two games at the most, and he should be back. It doesn't look like it's going to linger. Uh, I think they wanted to be smart, and I bet he wanted to play. Look at him, looking at him jumping up and down in the press box, uh, yeah. watching that game, yeah. I think you could tell that he wanted to be out there, and they might have to slow him down. But he was able to return in the game where he hurt his uh, knee and ankle and got hyperextended on the same play. But I think they're being smart. Maybe he misses next week on a short week. They're coming back six days later to play Sunday against the Cardinals, which should be a winnable game for them. But beyond that, I think he'll be fine, and it would be smart to get him healthy and and make sure you don't hurt him further 
uh, for your playoff run. So George Kittle should be good in the long run, maybe a couple weeks max. And eh, I wouldn't be surprised at all if he's back next week. Yeah, and I'm no doctor, but it wouldn't have surprised me. If that was a playoff game, maybe he even would have played last night. Yes, yeah, I feel the same way. And uh, and I actually still thought all week he was going to get in a limited practice Friday and then get in there and play, but uh, it wasn't to be. So it is a significant injury enough to keep George Kittle out, and he's a tough guy to keep out of the lineup with the ribs. It might be three or four weeks if it's broken ribs, awaiting an MRI still today on Emmanuel Sanders, and he was a huge boost. And I don't want to downplay how good Emmanuel Sanders has been in the short time he's been with the 49ers, so he's important, but they went 6-0 and without him too. And so I think George Kittle is just more important. Yeah, yeah, I'm with you there. I think Kittle is the straw that serves the drink. Sanders has been an extremely pleasant surprise and a really good player. But uh, I bet Seahawks fans are like, hey, what about us? You know, I mean, they're in a really good spot right now. And (laughs) led by Wilson, they're loaded. I mean, that's a really good offense. They didn't have Lockett for a lot of that game. Yeah, missing Lockett and DK Metcalf has started to become a target hog there. He was targeted 10 times. The 49ers did a pretty good job on him. There was that one play, which was a massive tide turner in this game, and there was a ton of big plays. I mean, it's such a fun game, back and forth, and so weird. Every Seahawks game tends to be just, it seems like just crazy, but the DK Metcalf play where he took it and he, and he carried half the 49ers team into the end zone, but then <laughs> Jaquaski Tart took the ball away at the two-yard line. That was just a massive display of how beastly DK Metcalf is, but the 49ers overall still did a really good job on him, and he was uh, the number one target. Him and Jacob Hollister for the Seahawks, which is, you know, when Jacob Hollister is your number one receiving option that's usually not great for an offense so missing Tyler Lockett's pretty huge for the Seahawks so that just goes to show you that um, they're a well-coached team and Russell Wilson you just can't give him all those chances and he's gonna go beat you and he did last night yeah yeah you're 100% right and Metcalf looked like Bavaro on that play I mean you look like a big tight end just dragging people Ditka or somebody Um, I had mentioned earlier some point this week that I'm not sure there's a wide receiver having a better year than Lockett so that's obviously a massive blow. But I also think the one guy we didn't mention, it looks like Josh Gordon's starting to acclimate too. And if if they're all clicking, that's going to be one of the best offenses in the league. And really timely for him to show up if Lockett is hurt for a while. And he spent the night in the hospital. He had a contusion, but there was very severe swelling. I think it's called compartment syndrome. Is that what it's called that they're worried about? Mm-hmm. And it can swell up crazy. You don't, don't go Google photos of that. Um, So it could be kind of serious for Lockett. So great timing to have Josh Gordon coming in. And you forget how smooth and big and good Josh Gordon is. He he, he only had two catches, but they they just looked easy. He just came in and was like, I'm just going to get open against Richard Sherman and catch this pass for a first down. It's like, it's no problem, you know? And so that is scary for the Seahawks to add a weapon like Josh Gordon, who uh, looked like he'll fit right in for them. Yeah, yeah, again, I mean, he just... Yeah, run a slant, shield this guy with my big body, haul it in, yep. drag somebody for a couple yards. You know, I mean, like I've done this a lot. Absolutely. All right, let's get to this mailbag. I have a feeling we're going to talk a lot of Seahawks 49ers throughout the rest of the season here. And who knows, week 17, they play each other again, this time in Seattle. Ooh. And it might go all the way down to the wire in the NFC West. Okay, Twitter Tuesday time. Let's start with, since we've already talked 49ers and Seahawks, um, Let's go a little bit further with Jimmy Garoppolo. John wants to know, what even is Jimmy G? Without Sanders on the field, he looks like a backup quarterback with every moment being too big for him. It's a crazy drop-off. I have no idea what to think of his ability. His turnover-worthy plays are crazy as well. 
sounds a little harsh. Yeah. I mean, I do think there's a was a stint there where he was forcing things. He didn't look like Joe Montana in terms of coolness. You know what I mean? Like his body language, his poise looked like he was rattled. He does put the ball in harm's way too much, and I'm okay with that if you're Farvian, you know, in terms of and you make plays that nobody else does. Yeah. But, you know, when you talk about those things, and I'm not a huge quarterback win as a stat guy, but his win-loss record is amazing, you know. So it's not like he's costing his team's games left and right because he's making bonehead, you know, Fitzpatrick errors. And I will add to that, yeah, and he's been really good on third downs, which is where he shines. Yeah. But with the turnovers, it's a problem. And I that was, I think, the biggest problem I had with that game, aside from some odd officiating, which is, which is pretty much a problem almost every week. There's there's some game where you're like, what is happening with the officiating in this game? And it's, <laughs> it's, it's almost not even on the officials at this point because it's so hard. But um, with Garoppolo, it's the turnovers. And like you mentioned, if you're Favre, if you are slinging it down, even James, James Winston, he makes big plays with yeah. his arm. Jimmy Garoppolo's style isn't to, you know, just chuck it down the field, see what happens, give your guy an opportunity, and sometimes it turns out to be a turnover. The big plays aren't really coming in the passing game with the turnovers, so that is a worry. And I understand if people would see that game and, and be frustrated with how the passing offense went. And I mean, there was at least five drops by 49ers receivers in that game, and that's the game right there if those guys aren't dropping all those. One of them turned into a pick. So the interception's not on Jimmy Garoppolo. Um, you can blame the pass rush a little bit on his fumbles, although I would put the fumbles still on Jimmy G. Yeah. You would like some bigger plays to go along with the turnovers or less turnovers and be super efficient one or the other. And so hopefully he goes in that direction as the season goes on. But he does need some help. And the offensive line didn't play great for him. There was no running game. Seattle could just come after him at will. And wide receivers were dropping the ball left and right. So it's not the game to look at Jimmy Garoppolo and say that performance is exactly who he is and he was terrible and they lost the game because of him and that's just too harsh and I understand 49ers fans are frustrated losing to the rival Seahawks but hey you're still eight and one and Jimmy Garoppolo took you there yeah absolutely and uh, how many games has he started in his life I mean not right. two seasons worth <laughs> that's I think that's his 17th start with the 49ers and only his third wow. loss and yeah a couple and I think he had what three or four with the, with the Patriots right. so it's basically like he's beginning his second year in the league. That's exactly where he's at as far as a starting quarterback, which is hard to believe for how long he's been in the league. So, And he hasn't had full seasons of practice with Shanahan and his offense. He came in late after the True. trade deadline the first year and just got a bare-bones version, and he looked really good for the 49ers. They could barely scratch out a win. They had one win. He shows up. They win five straight, which was insane. That's why he got his big contract, and he was like, okay, that's all I need to see there. And then last year... After week three, towards ACL, he had no practice reps the rest of the year. So this is full off-season plus regular season of practice reps with Kyle Shanahan. So there, there's yeah. growth to happen there, both with the receiving group, with Jimmy G himself, and the entire offense, I think. So they'll be better in week 17 than they are in week 10, just like I think they're a little bit better. I mean, you didn't see it this week, but last week you saw him bust out with some passing statistics, if that's what you're looking for, and it was better than it was in week one. So it's going to be a work in progress, but it's going to continue to grow, and with how good their defensive is, uh, their defense is, I think the 49ers are in great shape because they can be better than they already are at 8-1. and one. Yeah, that's a really good perspective on Garoppolo, too. Let's move on to the Patriots. Our buddy Go Pats has a question. Uh, he says, you often say 
Matt, that Belichick builds his defenses from back to front with secondary as the focus and that this D is built for today's NFL in stopping the pass. But is it inept against teams with a ground game like Baltimore? Um, Baltimore does that to everybody, first of all. I mean, so I, one thing you find in this league, and I really see it with my, my Steeler shows, is people only look at the league through their team's lens. You know, like last year, Kansas City came to Pittsburgh in week two and torched them. I'm like, well, they're going to do it to everybody. You know, so Lamar Jackson and the Ravens running all over you isn't unique, is not a unique Patriot problem. And I think Joe Pat knows that, but just to throw that out there. A couple things. First of all, here's how their defense is constructed is, as most people know, Belichick is a chameleon. He wants to be able to change week to week. He wants to take away what you do best. So he needs versatile players and versatile players are smart players and smart players also are not mistake laden players, which all that leads to do your job. So he wants versatile players at all levels, especially on the edges and at linebacker. His defensive tackles going back to Will Fork are always hogs. <laughs> you know, I mean, they're not, upfield Aaron Donald types. I'm sure if you gave him Aaron Donald, he'll figure out how to use them. But he gets cheap guys like Danny Shelton, and he plugs them in, they eat space. And by him doing that, it allows him to play a lot of nickel, basically, as his base. So he's got big, heavy throwback 1980s linebackers that are downhill guys. He's got big defensive tackles. So he's kind of trying to stop the run with one less guy, so he can have a lot of versatility with an extra safety on the field, um, speed and the second and third levels there with safeties near the box. And again, versatility is key. One of the issues is what you have to realize with the Patriots is they have some unique advantages and disadvantages with team building. First of all, Veterans want to come there and play, and they'll play for cheap, and they want to get a ring, and they want to be with Tom. So they can grab Chris Long on the cheap and plug him in easier than other teams can. But they also pick at the end of the first round every year. And, yes, top stud corners go very early, but top stud pass rushers are never there <laughs> at the end of the first round. I mean, never. Miles Garrett doesn't fall to 30. You know, so – they they know that they're not going to get elite pass rushers. And when they did, Chandler Jones, they're not going to pay him the going rate because you're making more than Tom. You know what I mean? Like, that ain't going to fly. You know, I'm not going to pay you more than Tom. not going to invest that much in one person. So we're going to get pass rush through blitz because we can't get it winning one-on-one matchups because we just don't have good enough players or a good way to get them. You know, we're not going to spend – 25 million on the open market for one that comes up. So in order to do that, they have to play a lot of man and they have to invest more in their secondary so that they can blitz so often. So the one position they spend money on is a shutdown corner. You know, they spent money on Revis. They went out and got Gilmore. So that's an easier evaluation. You know what you get. And then it has a massive ripple effect. So, I hope that explains things. You know, I mean, that that's where they stand. I'm not worried that Belichick all of a sudden is too caught up with the metrics that he doesn't care about the run because 
he's been doing this too long to be in that category. It's <laughs> a great answer to his question. Can't argue with anything you just said one. there. Yeah, no, you. I mean, you you laid it out. <laughs> I think that's perfect, and uh, that that was well said by you. There's a couple of Rams questions I want to get to here on the other side. This podcast is brought to you in part by Peloton. Can't find a workout that keeps you engaged? Peloton is an immersive cardio experience with real-time features that will always keep you coming back. Get $100 off accessories when you purchase the Peloton bike and get a great cardio workout at home. Go to OnePeloton.com and use promo code LOCKED to get started. If you have a long day at work, tough day at school, still stuck at the office... Treat yourself to a meal you deserve and have your favorite restaurants come to you with DoorDash. And folks, I don't know, I've told you this before, but I host a Steelers uh, radio show from 4 to 6 every day. My wife works. It's awful hard for us to get dinners, you know, in our kids' stomachs. So I use DoorDash all the time now. I mean, it's just so convenient. DoorDash connects you to your favorite restaurants in your city. Ordering is easy. It's very easy. Open the DoorDash app. Choose what you want to eat, and your food will be delivered to you, wherever you are. Sounds pretty simple, right? Not only is your favorite pizza joint already on DoorDash, but there are 3,400,000 3, restaurants in 3,300 cities. So let me repeat that. Three, 340,000 restaurants in 3,300 cities. So you might just find a new favorite restaurant, too. With door-to-door delivery in all 50 states, including Canada... Order from your local go-tos or choose from your favorite national restaurants like Chipotle, Wendy's, Chick-fil-A, Cheesecake Factory. Don't worry about dinner. Let dinner come to you with DoorDash. So, right now, our listeners get 5 bucks off their first order of $15 or more when you do- download the DoorDash app and enter our promo code LOCKEDON, all one word. That's $5 off your first order when you download the DoorDash app from the App Store and enter promo code LOCKEDON. Don't forget... That's promo code locked on, all caps, all one word for five dollars off your first order from DoorDash. Okay, JDS wants to know how much of the Rams regression is on McShay versus Goff. And the other question with the Rams is where do they go from here? Their O line is old and injured, and they use all their top draft capital uh next year, next couple of years to get Jalen Ramsey. How do they plug those holes? That's from Brian. So I don't know if you want to answer both those at once or, or those separately. Um, but, I mean, I'll talk about the draft stuff here real quick, and I'll let you talk about yeah. McVay and Goff. I think it's a big worry. And seeing how good Marcus Peters has been with uh, with Baltimore, yeah, that's a head-scratcher. You wanted to pay two first-rounders to go from Marcus Peters to – Jalen Ramsey, and I understand Jalen Ramsey is one of the best in the league, but one of the ways that you get around a, some really high-priced talent on your team, and there's a bunch of guys making a bunch of money right now and star power on that Rams team, you've got to fill those holes, and the only cheap way to get talent in this league is through the draft or just with guys off the street, and you don't want to just have Gurley and Goff and Aaron Donald and Ramsey and then 20 other guys off the street. That's not going to work. So um, the offensive line is probably the big worry there, and they have no big-time draft capital to go fill those. So that's, I think, long-term team building. I was kind of on board with where the Rams were going. Uh, The Ramsey trade, though, makes things a little bit iffy, and it'll be interesting to track if they're able to... um, to really build a roster around those guys. It's it's not a given that they will be able to be a good football team, and right now we're starting to see that they maybe aren't currently. 
Yeah, and, and here's going to be another long answer, but I don't know how else to explain it except for, in this case, I think they're the most unique built team in the league. And here's what I think is happening, is I think it starts with ownership, which really starts with the city they play in. That people in L.A., gas the Chargers, don't really care about going to football games. They have other things to do. So the only way to attract crowds, sell jerseys, sell tickets, sell beers at the game is to have a lot of star power. So if you go off that premise, they are studs and duds. I mean, like I really broke the team down because they were just in town here in Pittsburgh. And the best way I can explain it is they have as much star power as anyone in the league, but they have no middle class. You know, there's no six-year veteran linebacker who's making $2 million a year that's an okay player. You know what I mean? It's all studs and second, third, fourth-round picks. And they're going to go five years in a row without a first-round pick. Like, that's crazy talk to me. Yeah. But I understand what they're doing. And they also are one of the best teams in the league at working the comp market, the comp pick market. Like, they bring in Sue, they let him go, they get a comp pick. You know, so they do that really well, and they have a wealth of third and fourth round picks over the last couple of years and probably will keep that formula. So that's great and all, but how many of those guys turn into starters? You know, and like, for example, Note Boom is a guard that they drafted in the early third round, I think, and then they tend to trade out of the first to get more picks because they're trying to throw a bunch of stuff at a fan and see what sticks outside their stars. So they knew their line was in, in shambles or in transition, and that's been their biggest problem with the offense. And so they're counting on note boom. And he'll say a good prospect, gets hurt. <laughs> you know, so now all of a sudden you're testing depth when you didn't have any, and there's no middle class. There's not Again, there's not that six-year veteran guard who isn't great but can get by and get you out of a game. Like They don't have those guys. And then if you overestimate your stars, like they signed Gurley a year earlier than they had to. Like, you think they're happy about that with his knee situation? No. And, and Goff, the jury's not out, but there's a pretty strong case that he's not a star. And you're paying him like the top-rated quarterback, the top-paid quarterback in the league because there's a lot of Goff jerseys and Gurley jerseys. That's the only way people come to your game. And it's very interesting because you need that that other part of the question about McVay versus Goff. You need that head coach quarterback if you're going to build a team that way. Those guys have to be great. And if they're not great in carrying the team, then that middle class is going to really stick out like a sore thumb if you don't have it. And you can't continually re-sign the middle class guys you do have. And it's going to be hard to bring in free agents in that middle class because you can't pay you can't pay enough salary to be competitive with other teams that might bring in a guy who's a low-level starter or something like that. So it's almost the opposite of the way we just talked about how the Patriots are built because they have their one star in Brady, right. maybe a couple other, maybe one other player that they're paying you know market value for, and then it's all middle class. So th- that's very interesting. Yeah. And it's fun to track. And McVay, Goff, if those guys aren't on a on a level that they you know that they showed they were. Uh, well, the trajectory you thought they were on last year, if they're not on that trajectory and at that level, they don't have to be Belichick Brady, but they've got to be really good for the rest of that to work and cover up some of the holes that they will have on the roster if they're paying so much money to a few guys. And you mentioned Gurley. I think that's the first guy that's going to go. He has to, right? Yeah. 
Right. I mean, I think, and Brandon Cooks, maybe. I mean, he's got concussions. So you might not, some of these stars, you might not see them very long. But that's how you max out your credit cards, too. I mean, you end up with dead money and all those type of things. And no picks. And then just to make, you no picks, right. And then back to McVay, I think he's a very bright young coach. And if I was having a coach draft, he would be an early pick for me. He wouldn't be first, you know, if you factor in age and all those things. But I think he's a bit of a crossroads. I think he's in a brutal division. You can't overlook that. And everything is based off his running game, and the line just isn't good enough. I mean, and having no picks and linemen needs is a really rough formula. And uh, that's going to be the question for me, because Whitworth's not here forever. The rest of the guys aren't all that promising. And to some degree, people have his offense somewhat figured out. And I know that it needs to have a strong ground game to be its foundation. And it doesn't. And that's worrisome for team building. But let's not forget, I mean, it was just, what, 10 months ago, they were in the Super Bowl. You know, I mean, like, so it's been a successful formula. I don't know if it's a one-hit wonder kind of formula, though. I tend to think it is. And when it comes to McVay versus Goff, and you talk about drafting people, McVay would go a lot higher than Goff. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's, wow. I mean, there's easily 10 to 15 quarterbacks I'm drafting ahead of Goff when I'm factoring in age and maybe maybe even Jacoby Brissett. You know what I mean? Like people that you wouldn't think of where Goff, maybe I want five head coaches over. Let's see. I'll let you choose the last question. We have a couple minutes here. Do you want a Falcons Saints question or a Titans question? Surprising. Okay. Let's go with the Titans. We had called the Tennessee Titans the most average team, the the Mendoza line of the NFL earlier in the season. And Dallin wants to know, has it gone from most average team to most unpredictable team week to week? Can we really make anything of their win over the Chiefs? And I would put it to this this way to you, Matt. Are you more of a believer? Like how far over the Mendoza line are the Titans with Tannehill at quarterback from what we've seen the last few weeks? Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, Maybe because the area of the country they're in or the history of the team, they they aren't super talked about, and they are a lot more interesting than you would think because there's a lot of things going on there. The quarterback position obviously stands out. Um, they, they I think they're an above-average team. I think they're over the Mendoza line. I, I think they, they could make a little bit of noise in the playoffs, but they could lose anyone too. You know I mean? So there is a a major wild card, volatile, unpredictability with them. I definitely think they're better with Tannehill behind center. I firmly believe that they need to operate through Derrick Henry, and uh, I was not a huge Henry believer early in his career. I think he's a really good back and better than people give him credit for and no fun to play against. I think their receivers are going to be really good, and we're starting to see that with different quarterback play. I think guys like Jeffrey Simmons are going to be a star. I think, you know, I know that Kevin Byard's a star. Like, there might be people listening going, who those two? You know what I mean? Like, they're, they're the opposite of the Rams, too. Like, where are the star powers? Mm-hmm. Who's, who's the jerseys you're buying, you know? But I think it's a good formula. I'm, I'm a Vrabel believer of the Belichick disciples. He's one of my favorites. But it's kind of a slow process. Yeah, that defense can play. And when your defense can keep you in games, you're going to get some weird, some weird scores and some unpredictability because you're going to be in a lot of games, but – you know, they were losing a lot of close games under Mariota. Maybe they've 
turn the corner there. Um, Harold Landry's another good young pass rusher. He's got, yeah. I think, eight sacks on the season now. So they, the defense can play. When the defense can play, you just need a, a passable offense. You're going to be in most games most weeks. It's really weird. The way Henry plays, and it seems to be all or nothing. He's either running for 200 yards or he's got 45 yards. And it, it, it's, yeah. I think it's his style, too. He's got those long legs. He's high cut. And when he can get his train rolling, it's like, look out. It's scary. And, and he can gouge teams. And so it's the teams that can bottle him up and keep him in, in need, keep him making short area moves rather than getting downhill, I think, is the key in facing them and, and facing their offense. And obviously last week they won. And Tannehill, we've talked about Tannehill being a big difference over Mariota. He still only threw the ball like 17 times or whatever it was. So it's not like he's carrying that team to victory. They just need to be efficient on offense in the passing game, run the ball, and the defense does most of the heavy lifting. So uh, that's a good, I mean, that's an NFL winning formula. It has been for a long time. Yeah, and the thing with that formula is you might get a bounce at the end of the game than cost you a game. You know, like, it, it's hard to rely on it week after week. You know, like the, the Broncos did in that Peyton Manning swan song season, and he managed things, and then they kind of fell apart. You know, like, it, it's hard to maintain winning close game after close game after close game. So, but the thing that's different now is Tannehill makes – five throws that Mariota may never even attempted. You know, like, good throws down the field on third down or a touchdown here or there. You know, you don't need him to be Steve McNair. You you need him to be a quality player, don't kill us, make some plays. You know, like that, the Bears would kill for that for Trubisky. We saw a little bit of that from him last year. So uh, I think it's a good formula, but it's a close-to-the-vest formula, and it's how they have to play right now. But... I do think they're evolving. I think their better days are ahead and not behind them. I also think that Tannehill will be their 2020 opening day starter. I think that's the best way to play it for them. Draft a quarterback, see if you can develop another guy behind yeah. Tannehill, maybe push him, And but Tannehill's, I think, earned at least that job week one in 2020. He's definitely one of the best 32 in the planet right now and probably one of the best 22. We don't have time to get into this, but maybe ruminate on this a little bit for Wednesday's show because we've got to go here. But the Tannehill-Gase thing, seeing what's going on with the Jets, seeing Tannehill out from under Gase in Tennessee, I think that's a conversation we need to have. That's a long one, Yeah, exactly. So and we'll we, time for another one of my diatribes. But I, I kind of like you know, Tannehill quite a bit coming out of school, and I've liked some flashes throughout his career. He might be better than people think. All right, we'll get into more of that next time right here. Locked on NFL.